This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. So (laughs) I'm really excited for a lot of reasons, but so Scott has been a podcast guest of mine before. Hi, Scott. Hello, how's it going? No, it's going good. And um, the coolest thing about today's podcast is that now Scott is no longer just a podcast guest, but he is somebody who um, is now at full-time work for this Naked Mind. He is, uh, which I'm so excited. So Scott is sort of officially started out as um, we really spent a lot of time together, brought him through all the method. He'd been through it all himself. And he is my lead coach for um, kind of my most life-changing program, this Naked Mind Intensive. And that's been going amazing. And we've had this idea that we get, what we do is we do live Q&A calls every single week with a group of incredible people who we bring through this program. And these, some of these questions are tough and some of them take research and some of them we have to dig into. And so we had this idea that uh, these questions, they're so good and people get so much out of these questions that why don't we start just answering the coaching questions on a podcast, take some of the hardest ones and throw them out there and toss them around, pull in the research that we did together to answer the questions for um, our Naked Mind participants but also just for all of you, just to really, you know, answer some of these tough, tough questions the best we can. And so anyway, so Scott, first of all, so, so excited to have you part of all this. It's been awesome. Yes, it has been fun. And I'm excited to start doing this podcast too. I think, uh, you know, we get, there's a wide range of questions, but there are definitely some we tend to get repeatedly. And so I'd like uh, people having access to that information. So this is good. Yeah, it's so good. And it's so, um, yeah, the questions they come up and we'll do the tough ones, but we'll also, I think that's a great point. We'll also do the ones that just come up all the time because, you know, some of the ones that everybody, we are afraid to ask these questions and we create this really safe space within the intensive. People actually ask them and they realize everybody else is asking the same question. And I think that's one of the coolest parts of the program is that you get into it and kind of the, the aloneness you feel, the separation you feel because you're struggling with alcohol um, disappears within the length of the program, which is three months. Um, but today's question, so this is a tough one. We're gonna start out with one of the toughest ones. And I'm gonna put a big disclaimer on here that we do not definitively know the answer to this question, nor does anybody. And so we are going to give, based on our knowledge, our research, kind of the most information we can, but we. I have to warn you, we don't intend to like say, this is the answer to this question, um, because it's one that has been a subject of lots of debate for decades, um, for maybe probably even longer. So the question is, is alcohol addiction a disease or is it not a disease? <laughs> and so that's like a whopper to start with. But um, Scott, do you want to jump in or should I jump in? Sure. Uh, my answer is no. And thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my answer differs a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, there, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. And one of the things, you know, one of the books that was key for me in my process was the biology of desire by Mark Lewis. Um, and Mark talks a lot about this idea and this idea and sort of the history of how we've treated, uh, alcohol addiction, right. And that we used to look at it as this, uh, moral failing, right. It was just that you weren't strong enough. You weren't doing it right. 
um, if you were just uh, a little more self-reliant or if you were a little bit more responsible or if you cared more, um, you know, you wouldn't have this issue. And we obviously know that's not the case. Uh, and there's a lot of issues and, you know, alcohol addiction isn't the only one we look at that way or used to look at that way. Um, so as time went on, there was this idea of, well, no, it's not that, it's a disease. So by calling it a disease, we remove this idea of, um, you know, we remove this moral dimension from it. We remove this idea of fault. Um, and so we look at the, the actual addiction of alcohol as a disease. Um, that never really sat well with me. Like, I never really understood that because one of the ways that, you know, I look at disease as, as an example, and I think we talk about in the book, Annie, you talk about there's no such thing as a cigaretteaholic or nicotineaholic, right? Um, but we know very well what the, what the damage is that comes from smoking cigarettes over time. So we're, we're well aware of that. So this idea that, you know, that be, being addicted to the substance is the disease was one that was, was kind of tough for me to swallow. And so I always kind of saw the disease part of alcohol addiction as the result. Right, so how your body deteriorates under regular heavy use of the substance. So that's things like uh, liver problems. We know that there's a lot of cancers associated with it. We also know um, that there's mental effects associated with it, depression and anxiety. Um, I've seen those physical effects as the disease. To me, um, addiction as a process, I, I guess I just haven't seen the evidence that makes me think that's a disease. So that's kind of where I stand on it, and, you know, and I don't, I end up falling kind of, um, I'm ca always careful on how I say this, like, you know, I certainly don't see it as a moral failing of people, but I think there's a certain empowerment to saying like, I'm here because I had drank and now I can get myself out, right? And so it's, it's I don't view it in a negative light, but I think it's also important to say like, if people hadn't drank, you know, they wouldn't be, you know, where they are now. So by pointing that out, I think we really empower people to say, look, now you have the choice to move on. So I kind of, I don't really, I wouldn't say I fall in between the two. It's like a different definition altogether. Yeah. And that totally makes sense. And I feel like we, it's funny because this conversation, we first had this conversation right? and I feel like we debated it a little bit, but then we really got to somewhere that's kind of in the middle. And I think that the thing that I, and a lot of the reason that I said that we weren't going to answer this question is because I actually think the question itself is almost the wrong question. And I think you gave so much good history to why it's the wrong question. You know, we had people being, who were, could not stop drinking, their lives were falling apart despite all the evidence, despite, by the way, a deep personal desire to stop drinking, could not stop drinking. The medical establishment did not know what to do and they could not treat them. Enter the scene, Bill Wilson and Alcoholics Anonymous, and through meetings and through coming together and really working on the underlying causes of the trauma, the, um, the holes that we all have in ourselves, the reason that we numb in the first place, and by the way, the camaraderie, the taking away the shame because you're meeting other people who are like you instead of feeling completely isolated and alone, infusing community, which by the way, community is one of the most important things for humankind ever. All of a sudden, people who seemed helpless by the medical establishment got help and were changing and were staying away from alcohol and their lives were changing and they were putting themselves back together. They were becoming incredible productive people in society. And so the medical establishment said, wow, okay, this is not 
something that that we can deal with this is something that is actually being dealt with better outside of the medical establishment and so it's split and then since then really in court systems whenever somebody has a problem they're not referred in necessarily to a hospital or to a medical place they're referred into um this alternative program that's you know built by people run by people and that is not in a medical basis and i think the idea of okay well let's bring it back into the medical world. Really, like you said, it was like the pendulum swung the other way because all of a sudden when you're treating something with this spiritual malady, this moral malady, um, you are really increasing the burden on the individual. And I always say this all the time, but alcohol and every other addictive substance, they're addictive to us because we're human beings, because we have blood and flesh and cells and bones, and because we breathe, <laughs> and because our brains work a certain way. And there is not, and there has never been proven, we can never find and test for some certain segment of the population who becomes addicted. In fact, when they've given addictive substances to rats, 100% of them become addicted. It's not that some segment who can't control themselves or have a spiritual failing or have a moral failing or have some type of physical component is the people that become addicted and then everybody else does not. And so that for me really says, okay, actually by saying that it's spiritual and moral, we're putting the burden on the individual. That is just wrong because actually human beings become addicted under the right length exposure circumstance. And then also by then saying it's completely a disease that doesn't necessarily ring entirely true because of basically the definition of disease. And so the definition of disease, which we have to bring in here because it wouldn't be a good conversation otherwise from Merriam Webster is a condition of the living animal or plant body or one of its parts that impairs normal functioning and is typically manifested by distinguishing signs and symptoms. So an infectious disease, a rare genetic heart disease. So that's definition one. There's another definition that I think is really interesting because it doesn't have to do with the body, but I think it actually could make a case for alcohol um, addiction being a bit more of a disease. And that is a harmful development as in a social situation. And so the harmful development or it doesn't, it's not necessarily, social situation is actually in parentheses in that definition. So it's not necessarily that that's the crux of it, but the harmful development. And so what happens, and I really like to look at it as kind of, it is a disease and it isn't a disease. Because if you look at something like type one and type two diabetes, right? One type is something that is a condition. And so that first definition, a condition of a living animal or plant body, that is a condition that has, you've been born with, the condition happens, there you are. And I think that's where we make the mistake is if we say, okay, we were born with this propensity to become addicted to alcohol and therefore it's a disease. That does not ring true. The science does not back that up. But equally, if you say it's a harmful development, definition number two of disease that comes as a result of repeatedly drinking alcohol, then that rings completely true. And Scott, I think to your point, then you say all of these things that came out of me drinking too much certainly felt like in a big way, like it was, um, you know, a disease in my life. It was in, infecting and every area of what was happening with me. And I think similar to like type one and type two diabetes, one is something that you're born with. And another is something that over time through exposure to eating the wrong foods is a society, like our, our conditioning and what we've exposed our bodies to manifests this type of illness. 
And so I think very similarly, if you cannot be born and never have a drink of alcohol and become addicted to alcohol, like you just can't, like that's not, um, with the exception, by the way, of you being in utero and being exposed to alcohol, fetal alcohol syndrome, which of course then you are actually exposed to alcohol. So that even makes the argument more, but if you're never as a human being, your cells were never exposed to alcohol, you will not be addicted to alcohol. So like, as a condition that is pre-existing, like that doesn't make sense. You're not gonna be born with it like a rare genetic disease. Um, however, it is more like an infectious disease where if you are exposed to it, then yes, over time, alcohol can change your brain to the point where over decades and decades of heavy drinking, you cannot function in the way that you used to before you stop drinking, even when you stop drinking. And just so nobody's afraid, that is a very, very tiny infinitesimal part of the population. And it is over so much drinking over so long that most listeners are not going to fall into that. In fact, according to the CDC, only 10% of people who excessively drink alcohol are actually clinically addicted to alcohol. And even if the people clinically addicted, only a percentage of them have actually gone to deteriorate the structure of their brain to the point where it is irreparable. So there is hope for 99% of us in that way. But yes, over time, as an infectious disease can break down the entire body, alcohol over time can break down the brain to where the condition is, is very disease-like. And so my answer is on, on kind of both sides of the fence, I guess. I get that. I understand that. I want to go back to something um, before we pass on, but I think that one of the things, you know, about AA that they deserve major, major credit for is kind of cracking open the door. Now, the way the way that the big book's written, you know, it's a little bit different. Uh, I think we understand it differently now. You know, we don't call it an allergy uh, like they do in, in, in the big book. Um, but man, do they deserve credit for removing that moral uh, aspect of it. Um, so I just wanted to make that point because to me that's that's such a huge development in sort of the way we think about things. Um, I don't want to I don't want to gloss over that now. And you know I I hear what you're saying in terms of an infectious disease. Um, I get that idea, and I you know I've thought about it from that perspective before. But again, like um, you know the addiction itself, the addiction itself is the uh, the mechanism through which people continue to drink. Um, but I think because I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. So, you know, as, as an infectious disease, something like, um, I don't know, malaria, let's call, let's use that as an example. Um, so something like malaria, you catch that from the environment and you continue, you know, you move on, you get treated and you move on with your life. Um, with alcohol, I think that this, to me, the idea of calling the addiction itself the disease instead of the effects of the uh, drinking the, the disease is that it's sort of this repeated exposure idea. Like this is this is happening. And like I said, like for me, a big part of that is uh, is is people saying, "Look, I had a, I had a hand in this." Like I don't know anyone who um, deliberately got malaria. Like maybe maybe there are maybe people doing experiments, but like in general, like that's the idea. And I think to me, like really the heart of the issue, you know, and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm kind of coming over to your side on seeing it on, on both, both sides of the, both sides of the coin there. Um, but I think the heart of the issue is some element of, you know, personal action and responsibility in, in both ways. You know, like if you look at um, having an alcohol problem as a disease and what, how most people end up treating it um, is most people treat it outside of this medical 
facilities, right? Most people end up treating it, you know, either by working with us or going to Alcoholics Anonymous or any smart recovery, any of the myriad of programs that are out there. Um, you know, that's, that's, an, that's to sort of stop getting infected again, right? I see that differently than actual repeated exposure, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. And I think that what you just said is actually one of the, the clarifying missing pieces, right? Like what aspect of this spectrum are we talking about? Are we talking about the addiction and the cycle of addiction and repeating the behavior and being able to have stop repeating the behavior? Or are we talking about the outcome and the effects, which manifest very much like a disease, like the mm -hmm. outcome of drinking for 40 years every single day and actually changing your brain so you don't have as many dopamine receptors like that's very the definition both definitions of the disease that condition that's manifested with signs and symptoms fits and the harmful development fits right but so we can both probably say okay the effects physically of alcohol manifest like a disease pretty much no question in the physical mm -hmm. body the the psychological, and by the way, what this naked mind is completely built on, is this idea that by understanding the addictive nature, we can consciously regain our control and power because we as human beings have something that the rats they're experimenting on where 100% of them get addicted don't have. And that's why 100% of humans don't get addicted. We have this ability to reason and logic and say, wait a second, this is not doing me any favors. This train that I'm on is about to crash and I'm going to get off before it does. And I think that's like a, a massive clarification. And I agree with you 100% that the addictive um, cycle that is psychological, the thing that keeps us doing it until you reach that 10%, that 1% of people who have manifested such intense physical symptoms like my um, sister-in-law's mother, died in the hospital from alcoholism and it was she had to be given alcohol intravenously to extend her life as long as it did for the people she loved to say goodbye and that was a point where alcohol had changed her body so much that it was not psychological anymore but that's not true for 90% of excessive drinkers so yeah. that's probably not true for 99% of drinkers overall right and um and but if we talk about then that and, and I think this brings up actually, we Scott and I we had a coaching call last night, which was really 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 cool. And one of the um, people on the call obviously protect anonymity, so I'm not going to um, say their name. But they said, when they are out of their house in environments where they're teaching, where they're learning, where they're they can give it up, no problem. It's completely easy. Just walk away from alcohol for weeks at a time. However, once, and what the question was phrased was, is that if, if there's external control on my behavior, meaning I'm with a peer group that is not necessarily condoning it, I'm, I'm learning, I'm at a retreat, I'm at some other location where it's externally controlled, and those were their words, then I can do it. But when it's my internal control, then I have a problem, and then I start drinking again. And the, the conversation we had with them was there's really in this situation, if you are walking away from alcohol for 12, 15 days with zero side effects, which by the way, this person, they went to their doctor and they got a prescription just in case they were going to have withdrawals because they were afraid that maybe they would. And 
walked away for 15 days, zero side effects, zero withdrawal symptoms, very clear that there's no physical aspect to their addiction. And if they can do that, and it's not that they were walking into a situation where alcohol wasn't available, by the way. So that I would agree was external control if you are in like, you know, a lockdown center where you can't drink. No, it was just a situation where because of other circumstances, they were choosing not to. That was not external control. That was completely internal control. And I think that the point that I'm trying to make is that if we give up our power by saying, this is a disease, this is something out of my control, this is something that happened to me, this is something I was born with, we undermine consciously and subconsciously our own ability to take back control. That is exactly, I, I love that when you, when you said that on the call last night, and that, that's kind of, I feel the same way around the definition of alcohol as a disease or not a disease. This idea that, you know, I'm somehow different or that I'm wired differently and that's why, like we know that there's differences in, in how long it takes someone to get to addiction. Like we know, we know that that's different for everyone and there's a whole bunch of reasons why that are environment and genetics and a lot, a lot of things kind of jumbled up that we don't necessarily have the best answer for. Um, but what we do know is that everyone can do it eventually. Like, and this is something I tell my clients too, like, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you drink enough alcohol over a long enough period of time and you will end up with a level of addiction. Like that's just how it works. Um, and one of the things that Mark Lewis says about it in the biology is desire, um, is that he calls it the neural circuitry of desire governs anticipation, focused attention and behavior. And we hijack that. And we actually end up putting our brains, it, addiction in, a, in, a, in one sense of the word is your brain doing exactly what it's supposed to do. You know, it's getting this dopamine hit. It, it's having you chase that. It's having you go back to that. Um, excuse me. So if we do this, you know, if we, if we have this, um, this idea of, of drinking and this idea of us being in control, like we, in order to take control to get ourselves out of it, there's an element of taking responsibility for getting ourselves into it. Um, and that's a fine line to ride because I don't like to be, I, I, I have no moral judgment of that. You know, I, I know what it is. And like, like you said, Annie, it's just being human. You know, the reason that we're here is because we're human. And, um, but I think there's still that, that element to it. Um, and so talking about someone always have it like external control, not being a thing that really exists, like at that time, you know, when she was on that trip, she was in control. Um, maybe she felt like she was giving that up, but ultimately every night, every time, you know, even she had a thought about drinking or, you know, uh, or decided or thought about maybe going out, um, you know, she was, she was exerting that internal control. Um, and I think, you know, that was a really powerful lesson to say, like, you did that, you can do this for a couple of weeks at a time. Like there's no reason you can't do it at home. Um, and it was clear from her reaction that it, that was kind of a revelation. Like that was like a, oh, oh yeah, sort of a moment. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was really cool. I mean, I'm really hopeful because I feel that that was, and I think for so many of us, it holds us back. We think that there's something, some secret that we're not getting, some mindset shift, some, some instance that, that we're not getting. And and when we understand, wait a second, we do have the power. And I love what you said, Scott. And I think that's, that's really where it is, is that this idea of taking personal responsibility. And I like to separate personal responsibility with 
you may have been through the most traumatic experiences. Your life may be in shambles. All of this stuff may happen. These things are not necessarily your fault. You know, getting addicted to an addictive substance in a society that puts it as higher level of importance than anything else we consume, really, um, that's not really your fault, but it is your responsibility because your life is your responsibility and nobody else's. And if you, I think it's so empowering to say, understand it, the science, understand it and say, wait a second, it's not that there's something wrong with me. It's that just as you said, Scott, my brain is doing exactly what it was designed to do. Exactly what it was designed to do. And that mechanism of becoming addicted is your brain responding to stimulus exactly as it's supposed to to keep you alive. Unfortunately, the stimulus it's responding to is highly addictive in nature and your brain does not know that because it's it but your conscious mind it does and so it's taking this your brain working neurochemically exactly how it's supposed to realizing wait a second that's exactly how it's supposed to for things like you know um not things like 40 proof vodka and other stuff like that but working exactly how it's supposed to for normal levels of dopamine stimulation and then taking this idea of, but wait a second, I can understand that. And by understanding it, I can put a wrench in this and I can stop and I can reevaluate my decisions. Yeah. And that's, that's where, so I'm a, I'm a big fan student of stoic philosophy. And that's where I start to talk with, with people about the difference between reacting and responding, right? Those are two different things. We might use those words sort of interchangeably, um, but running into a situation, into a stressful situation, whereas before we may have reacted with getting a drink, um, people begin to understand that they can choose how they respond. They can choose how they do it. Um, and so, you know, this idea that, you know, we talk about the mindset shift quite a bit. I think that's a big part of that mindset shift is like, this is in my hands. Like I actually am in the driver's seat. Um, and that's an extremely optimistic message. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And so I think uh, we didn't answer the question. No, we didn't. <laughs> we don't know if alcohol is a disease in alcohol. We didn't promise to, though. I think <laughs> yes. that's fair. But I think we really brought up a better question, which is what definition serves you? And mm. it, are you being served by believing that you were born with something that you cannot change? Or are you being served by believing that, hey, my brain is actually working exactly how it's supposed to work? And the effects that I have brought on myself, you know, that, that definition number two from Merriam-Webster, the harmful development that has happened in my life as a result of drinking is actually something that I can reverse um, because I have, because I'm not a mouse, because I have this incredibly powerful part of my brain, the prefrontal cortex that can help me make these good decisions going forward with understanding and knowledge. And so I, um, I love this question. I love this debate. This was so much fun. I do think that the better question is to say what's serving me and how am I moving forward with the decisions and choices I want to make and not to get caught up in, in the semantics of it. Because ultimately, unless your definition of where you are with this is helping you um, to live the best life that you want to live, you know, it might not be a question worth your time. I completely agree with that because, you know, the definition, you know, the, the, it's fun to get into the semantics and to look at the research and to debate the different sort of viewpoints on this. But ultimately, the important thing is what works, you know, what works to keep you uh, alcohol free or, or living with alcohol in the way that you want to. 
Um, you know, what is that? Is it a, is it a book? Is it a group? Is it a program? Um, finding that and, and engaging in it and, and being able to actually live in the way you want to live is the important part. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this has been so much fun. I look forward to lots more hard coaching questions <laughs> on this podcast. So yeah, thank you, Scott. Very good. Thank you, Annie. This was fun. I agree. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.